and amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I titled this message, Grace, Gifts, Giving Grace. Hopefully that will make sense to you once we get through this. And the Bible says, And he himself, Jesus, <clears throat> gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And the reason he gave them was for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now that's a mouthful. We're not going to concentrate on all of this today. I will, I, I, hopefully, I will help you to understand what we're wanting to bring out. But let me give you a little introduction before we jump into this and, and try to make this uh, um, uh, 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 palatable to us so that we can grasp what Paul is trying to tell us. So in this letter to the Ephesians, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. That's why it's called the letter to the Ephesians. So it's a city at that particular time. And it was a church that he founded. Paul is writing to deal with issues that had arisen, and he's giving them advice on how to deal with these issues and how to live in a way that glorifies the Lord as they walk out their Christian lives in the world which they came out of when they began to follow after the Lord. You see, God doesn't take you out of the world, but he tries to take the world out of you to the extent that we allow him. It's like the Israelites, he brought them out of Egypt, but when he brought them out of Egypt, unfortunately they brought Egypt with them because Egypt was in their hearts. So the Lord does it differently today. Today, he brings us into the kingdom, but he tries to, but in bringing us into the kingdom, he's trying to get the world out of our hearts, right? So when we're talking about the world, we're talking about the lusts of the world, the, the, the corruption of the world, but at the same time, God gives us a love for the world to rescue those who are in the world and bring them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? So in this letter, it can be really broken down into two parts. The first three chapters, Paul talks about all that God has done for us. Basically, it's who we are in Christ. And, uh, and the second part, which is chapters 4 through 6, deals with now that we know all that Christ has done and what God is doing in our lives, how do we live in light of that? What are we to do in Christ? So who we are, and then what do we do? So Paul instructs the believers how to live in light of what God has done and made available to them. And that, the text that we're looking at is found in this part of the letter. What do we do? How do we live in light of all that Christ has done? In this text that we're looking at today, Paul is telling the believers that God has empowered the church through grace, right? Grace is not the name of a person. Grace is the empowering presence of God. Now, I'm not saying grace can't be the name of a person, but Paul is not talking about somebody named grace. When he's talking about grace, he's talking about the empowering presence of God. It is the power of God 
that equips God's people to do and be what God has called them to do and to be. Okay, so I know that there's a popular definition for grace that says receiving something we didn't deserve. We didn't deserve grace, so it is that, but it's much more than that. Grace is the empowering presence of God. And so uh, one of the things that Paul reminds them, and in reminding them also reminds us that we were saved through grace, right? Anybody here not saved? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Right, we were all, we're all, I think I know most people here, we're all saved. How are we saved? We were saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Is that, see if we got that back there. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Give it just a moment. Catch up. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, I don't have this in there, but, but in Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God to the salvation of those who believe. Belief is synonymous with faith, and power is synonymous with grace right? So it's the power of God that we receive through grace, but what opens the door for that grace to come into our life is faith. But grace is how we got saved, the power of God to save us. It's not something that we've done. It's a gift of God, not at works, lest anyone should boast. And so Paul, that's in the first part of the letter, tells the church that they are also, not only have they been saved through grace, but the second thing he tells them is that they are also equipped through grace. I hear people say all the time, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. Well, it doesn't, uh, where you, what you can do at the time that God is uh, do, uh, calling you to do something is probably nothing. But when God calls you to do something, then he gives you grace to do it. So you can't say, I don't know how to do something. I can't do something and determine what you're going to be able to do by where you are, you determine what you're going to be able to do by what God empowers you to do. Because when God calls you and equips you to do something, he gives you the grace to do that which you could not do before. Right? So grace equips us to do the work of God. The grace also is given by Christ himself and is found in God's servants that he is empowered to dispense this grace to the believers. So now we didn't read this part. But in the chapter, in the text that we read, if you were to go up a couple of verses in verse 7, it says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? So grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes and he quotes an Old Testament scripture. And when he quotes this Old Testament scripture, then he tries to tell you how that scripture applies to today. So Paul has been a good preacher. He's not just saying something. He's giving you scriptural reference for it. But back then, they didn't have a New Testament. They just had the Old Testament. So Paul takes an Old Testament scripture and is applying it to his, uh, what he's preaching about, what he's teaching about. So really, you could just start in verse 7 and then jump down to verse 11. Each one of us, to each one of us talking to the church, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How does he give this grace? He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, 
and some teachers, and he gave the body grace through these gifts to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So his purpose in giving the body these equippers is that the body might become a mature body expressing the fullness of the Lord through their lives. In other words, every person in Christ begins as a baby. We're born again. We can be born again when we're 30, when we're 40, when we're 50, when we're 60, but that doesn't mean that we're mature in Christ. We all come in inexperienced. We all come in without knowledge. We have to learn the Christian life. We have been brought into the Christian life. We've been, by God's power, uh, born into the family of God, but we're born in as babies, as infants. And so God wants us to grow up into Christ. We're all part of a body. How he equips us to grow up in Christ and a family. He gives you a mother and a father and they train you. But in the family of God, he gives you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what is their job? To equip the saints, to equip the body to basically grow up into the fullness of Christ. Now, this is, you have permission now to turn to somebody and say, you need to grow up. <laughs> Some of y'all are going, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. All right. <laughs> it says in four, uh, verses 15, 14 and 15, it says uh, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, he's talking to all the church, all the body, we may grow up into all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Now, you remember that verse we quoted a little while ago? It says, by grace you save through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Well, there's a, there's a verse that follows that, that most of us, never bothered to learn. I didn't bother learning it. I just learned 2, 8, 9. I didn't realize that I, could, I should have learned 10 because 10 is just as important because it goes on to tell us God's purpose for his grace being poured out upon us as a people. He said, and again, let me back up. By grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. And then it goes on and says, for we his church, his body, his people are his workmanship. In other words, he, he is fashioning us, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2 and 10. Ephesians 2 and 10. There it. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why did, I, why did God create you? To go to church and sit and listen to a preacher? No. Why did God create you? I didn't write this. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it. And you're thinking to yourself, but he didn't ask you to preach on it. Yes, he did. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Work? I thought we're not supposed to work. No, you're not saved because of works, but you're saved so you can work. Works don't save you. But salvation you positions you to work. Right? Okay. 
uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We, humanity, people, were created by God when he created Adam and Eve. We were originally created to serve his creation, to work. What did God tell Adam to do? He put him in the garden, he said, to cultivate and to keep it. I don't know if you understand what that means. That means to work it. God, the, the earth was never going to become all it was supposed to be without people to work it. So God created humanity to serve his creation as stewards over this earth. And through his marvelous grace, God is restoring and equipping us by grace to fulfill our original purpose in being created. Now listen, even though we're in a fallen world, what we need to understand is that when God gave Adam a job, he said, I put you in the garden to cultivate and keep it, that even in the garden, when everything was perfect, the garden would not be all it was supposed to be without Adam working the garden. How many of y'all have ever had a garden? Now, how many, I don't know about you, but I, I like the romantic, romantic, romanticized idea of having a garden and then having tomatoes and having jalapenos and not okra though we don't want okra tr wants okra he can have all the okra he wants but i want tomatoes and jalapenos and i want corn and i want all of that what we don't always understand, I don't understand, maybe some of y'all do, if you have rose gardens or you have flower beds, man, it does not become all it's supposed to be without consistent work. You've got to work it for it to become all that you desire for it to be. Y'all want to have this beautiful flower bed like they do in England. And, and you, want, you know, they have full-time people, not just one, full-time staff of people so that they can trim it, they can weed it, they can fertilize it, they can mulch it, they can, they can uh, prune it. They can do all that needs to be done so that it becomes all it's supposed to be, right? So, uh, you know, I, 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 even if you have cattle or you have uh, 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 flocks or whatever you have, if you want those flocks and those cattle to prosper, you've got to work them. You've got to make sure they're fed. You've got to make sure they have feed. You've got to make sure that they're, 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 they have shots. You've got to make sure you've got to take care of them. You've got to watch over them. That's why, uh, uh, you know, when Jesus looked out on the multitude, he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. There's nobody to watch over them. So what is, what is the idea? I created shepherds to watch over the sheep. Just like I created humanity to watch over the world. Just like you have mothers and fathers watch over their children. What do you think is going to happen if you got one, two, three-year-olds in the house and no mom and dad? Do you, are you going to come back and the beds are going to be made? and There's going to be food on the table? And, and you know, no, we, we left our daughter one time, uh, um, and uh, uh, she was taken care of. I think she, Grandma was taken care of, but, but I'm not sure. I shouldn't say that because somebody was taking care of her. We wouldn't leave her by herself. But when we came back, she had, she had gotten some lipstick, and she had drawn all over the walls with red lipstick, and all over the sofas with red lipstick. Now, how come when I came home, she didn't vacuum the house? How come when I come home, she didn't uh, fold the clothes and she didn't make something? She didn't do that because it didn't go from a place of or, uh, disorder to order. Most of the time, things go from order to disorder unless you have somebody that is uh, taking care of it. 
bringing order into it, true or not? What happens if you go to class and there's no teacher? What, is it going to be a place of order? No, it's going to be a place of chaos, right? Until order is brought into the room. And see, this is a side. This is a side. But this, it's ridiculous to think that order is going to come from disorder that we evolved and made become more orderly over time when everything in creation teaches us that things move from a point of order to disorder, not disorder to order. Really? Evolution is a, is a belief system, and it's a false belief system at that. The Bible teaches that God created and brought order into this world. Okay? So anyway, let me get back. So, uh, uh, the scripture for this, Genesis 1, 27 through 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So again, first, by grace, if we go back and, and, and just kind of figure out where we're at again, by grace, we've been reconciled back to God. And second, by grace, we will be equipped to fulfill his purposes in us and through us, right? So in our text, we find that he equips us for the latter uh, to fulfill his purpose in us and through us through grace gifts. Some people call these fivefold ministers. But the bottom line is they are God's grace given to the body. Now, you have grace gifts that are given by the Spirit of God. When we talk about the charismata, we talk about the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, which is tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, faith, discerning of spirits, uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. You know, those are, the, those are the gifts of the Spirit. These are the gifts of Christ. Those gifts can function through people at any time as the Spirit wills. These gifts are the people themselves. God has clothed, called and equipped or clothed these people with grace. And their grace is given to the body, not independent of the people, but through the people. You might say to yourself, I don't like that. I didn't make the system up. I didn't create it. God did. All I'm trying to do is explain to you the ways of God. God's not going to change his ways because we don't like it. We get to learn the ways of God, and when we learn the ways of God, then it equips us to position ourselves in a way that we can experience the grace and the blessings of God as we learn the ways of God. God, I want to tell you something. You think you're stubborn. Mm -mm. You ain't got anything on God. You ain't going to out-stubborn God. This is the way he does it. He is true to himself. He will not violate his word. His, his word is, is written in heaven, and it's forever the same, right? And so we're not going to change it. So what, the best thing we can do is learn his ways. As we learn his ways and we conform to his ways, then what we're going to find is that that's where we're going to experience the blessings of God. Now, I don't, I don't know why I'm going to share this, but let's see if I can get back. Um, I used to work, when I was going to seminary, I had a job working in a psych hospital. Apparently, once you've gone there, they can hire you as a worker. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> well, I got a job working as a psych hospital, and um, the floor in the unit that I worked on was for kids. Now, insurance, if they'll pay for it, people will use it. And everybody, 
you know, at that particular time, a lot of insurance was paying for, for kids that were unruly, disruptive. They were having a hard time at home. They were paying for the parents to be able to take them to the psych hospital. And in the psych hospital, they were going to teach them, you know, uh, uh, the skills that they needed. They were going to fix the kids, right? So I was a, I was a, a, a psych hospital uh, attendant, I guess. I was the one that took them where they needed to go and did what I needed to do. And so one of the things that I realized is that uh, when you bring discipline into a kid's life, when you bring discipline in order, I didn't have any problems with these kids. These kids were great. Why are these kids here? There's no reason for these kids to be here. These kids are doing great. We, we make sure that we have rules, we have order, they follow the order, and, and when they did that, kids flourished. But then what would happen is Saturday visitations would come. And when Saturday visitations would come and mom and dad got off the elevator, then we saw why the kids were in the hospital. And what we determined or what I figured out is that it wasn't the kids, it was the parents. If you don't bring order into the home, if you think the kids are just going to do it themselves or you're not present and you're not active and you're not bringing order into their lives, you can't expect that they're going to be the way you want them to be. You have to bring that into their lives. And when that was brought into their lives, the kids began to conform. And when they began to conform, they began to excel. They began to do well. Now, one thing we couldn't give them is we couldn't give them love. Now, I didn't mean we didn't care for them, but we're not their parents. So as a parent, not only do we have to give them love, we have to give them boundaries. We have to give them um, consequences for bad behavior. We have to reward them for good behavior. But most of all, what we have to give them is love. But love is not letting them do and giving them whatever they want. That may be the world's definition of love, but it's not the biblical definition of love. Love is I want what's best for you, and I'm going to create an environment that's going to promote your growth. Whether you like it or not is not the issue. This is what's going to happen. And that's our job as parents. And it's also uh, uh, what God wants to do within the church, because to be honest with you, most of us that come in the church, the reason we come in is because we have broken lives. And the reason we have broken lives is because we've been living rebellious lives. Contrary to God's word. And so when you come into the church, you have to, I'm really getting off on a rabbit trail now, but when you come into the church, it's not just going to church that's going to change your life. You have to give your life to God. See, we want Jesus in our lives, but when we get Jesus in our lives, we still do whatever we want. No, you have to give your life to God, learn the ways of God, submit yourself to God's ways. Nobody likes it. Your flesh will rebel against it. But we're not no longer in Christ. We are no longer ruled by the flesh. We're ruled by the Spirit. Now, your flesh is not going to want to give up easy. But your flesh has to submit. The Word of God says this. So you have to bring your lives into submission. I don't want to forgive. You don't have to. But if you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have joy in your life, you got to forgive. Well, I don't want to. 
the Lord didn't say you had to, uh, 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 he was going to make you. He said you had to choose to do it. If you choose to do something, you can say, God, I choose to do it, but I need your help. He will meet you there, but he won't make you do something, right? He won't make you give. It's not a church, it's not, but you know what? He won't make you give, but the ways of God are set up this way. If you will do what he says, you position yourself to be blessed by him. If you don't do what he says, you're the one that moves yourself out from the position of blessing. He didn't do it. You did it. We used to have uh, uh, a youth pastor here, and uh, he came and asked me for advice. I said, man, I got these kids coming to church, and and man, every time they come, they just, they won't listen to me. They're unruly. I said, I know we're supposed to reach them, and I know I'm just frustrated. I don't know what to do. And I said, look, he said, first of all, these kids, when they come to church, we give them boundaries. If they choose not to stay within those boundaries, we're not kicking men out of church. They're saying they don't want to be here. Your behavior says, I don't want to be here. Because if you want to be here, you're going to conform to whatever's required in that place. But if you know what's required and you don't do it, so I told him, I said, you're not asking them to leave. They're determining and their behavior is saying, I'm going to leave. So I don't make them leave. I didn't ask him to leave. I didn't ask him to give the church. All I said was, this is, if you're going to be here, this is what you have to do. If you don't, then you're saying you don't want to be here, and I'm going to accommodate you. Right? And so I said, so don't think of it like you're not doing the right thing or you're doing something wrong. You need to help them. But everybody has to conform to a standard. If you want to work in the plant, you got to conform to standards. We got Mr. Standard back there. <laughs> right? He walks around. This is the standard. This is the way it is. His whole job is based on this is the standard. If you don't conform to your standards, you get a red ticket. You get too many red tickets. I don't know if that's what color they get. But you get too many red tickets, where are you going? You're going outside the gate. Right? So it's, this is nothing new for us. The reason our schools, boy, I'm really going on a rabbit trail. The reason our schools are in the position they're in is because administrators no longer want to impose standards. Why? Because if I ask too many kids to leave, we don't get money from the government. We don't get money from the government. We don't get funded. Right? So what becomes the rule is not what's best for the kids. It's not what's best for the teachers. It's what allows us to exist, and it's money. Right? <clears throat> I need to get back to where I'm at. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I know. But it's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to go there. So what I'm saying is that we, we need to learn the ways of God and position ourselves. God's not going to change. His Word's not going to change. We need to conform to what He says is right if we want to experience all that God has for us. So I didn't make it up that God put grace on apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He, he did that. So how does God give grace 
to the church through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, first of all, we got to be clear that the purpose of these gifts that are resident on people, the purpose of these gifts or these grace ministries is not to do the ministry for everybody. The purpose of these grace ministries are to equip the body, the believers in the church of God, to do the works of the ministry. How many of y'all are believers? If you don't raise your hand, we're going to have an altar call. So everyone in here has raised their hand. So that means everyone in here has said, I am uh, a believer and my purpose is to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. I didn't know that. Well, that's why we're teaching you this. I thought I, my purpose was just to go to church and listen to the pastor and say amen every so often. No, the, the teachers, the, whether it be Sunday school or girls' ministry or Royal Rangers or uh, any other place, what we want to do is we want to share and impart to you what the Word of God teaches. As we impart to you what the Word of God teaches, not only are we imparting to you truth from the Word of God, but we are also giving it through a certain grace that, that we have in our life. If I taught on a Scripture passage and Doug taught on the exam Scripture passage, you're going to get truth, but it's going to come in a different flavor. Right? So you're not just getting the Word, you're getting the Word with a certain flavor to it. Okay, that's why you have apostles, prophets, evangelists. The grace is a certain flavor. I'll get to that in a minute, but let me finish this. The performers are not, uh, what we've done too, for, for too long in the church is we've embraced the model of ministry that has performers and spectators. The performers are the ones that we say are the ones who have grace, and the spectators are the ones who don't have it, and we sit back and we listen to the ones that do have it, and we watch them do it. While that's maybe what we have been doing, it doesn't mean that it's biblical. It may be what we've done that has been practical, but it's not biblical. What is biblical is that those who have grace equip the body so that they can have that grace and they can walk in the grace as well so that now you don't have one person, but you have a multitude of people with grace. So in other words, God wants everybody to have grace. He wants everybody to have apostolic grace, evangelistic grace, pastoral grace, teaching grace, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, what's the other one? Prophetic grace. He wants everyone to have it. Only thing is he's saying is the fountain where you get that grace is often an individual in which the grace is deposited. So if you want to get that grace you're going to have to go to the fountain that that grace is coming through. And that fountain is oftentimes an individual that God has equipped with that grace. So if you want apostolic grace, you have to get onto somebody with apostolic grace. And as you listen to them, and as you sit under them, as you allow them to, to teach you and impart to you, then that apostolic grace on their life becomes imparted to you as well. And if you want prophetic grace, it usually comes through a prophetic fountain found in a five-fold prophetic person. Teaching grace, pastoral grace. Am I making sense to you? So what are these equippers equipping, equipping the believers with? 
grace. The grace comes in different flavors, but it's all grace. One of the best illustrations I had on this was a guy named Chris Valentin. He used this example. He said, how many of y'all remember? They still have them, but I never go get them anymore. You remember these, uh, uh, when, I was, when I was a, a teenager, I, I started running. And I'd run five, six miles, and my reward for running was a 32-ounce, and then they came up with a 64-ounce cup at, at Stop and Go or 7-Eleven. one of those of Mountain Dew. Ooh, love Mountain Dew, right? Mountain Dew doesn't love me, but I love Mountain Dew. So I'd run five, six miles and go get a big, oh, man, it was so good, you know. Uh, but what happens is you go to this soda fountain, and when you go to this soda fountain, you have five or six different flavors, right? And, but basically, it's all soda water. You have Coke, soda water, but it's flavored Coke. You have Mountain Dew, soda water, but it's flavored Mountain Dew. You have uh, uh, some other, you know, orange drink. It's soda water, but it's flavored Mountain Dew. But at the heart of it, it's soda water. So all we're saying is that grace is that way, but there are different flavors. When you go to the fountain of God's grace, you can have apostolic grace, right? Or you can have prophetic grace. It's all grace, it's just got a different flavor to it. You can have teaching grace. You can have uh, 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 pastoral grace. Or you can have evangelistic grace, right? And so the soda fountain that God uses are people that have grace flowing through them, only they have different flavors to them, all right? What are they equipping the believers to do? Specifically, the text goes on and says in 4.12, for the equipping of the saints, Ephesians 4.12, Ephesians 4.12, Ephesians 4.12. For to each one of now that's 4.7. We need 4.12. There, for the equipping of the saints to do what? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If you could read the original language in Greek, the letter uh, was written originally in Greek, you would find that the context suggests that the grace carriers equip the rest of the believers in the body with the grace that they carry for two distinct purposes. They are to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, and the body is to be equipped to edify the body of Christ. So in other words, let's get practical. Okay, I believe I'm a fivefold minister. Whether you believe it or not, it would, it would help you to believe that, but that's what I am, right? I know that. I know what God's equipped me to do. My job is not to do everything for everybody. I've fallen into that before. I've done that before. Not healthy for me, and it's not healthy for you. Lord told me one time, as long as you do stuff, the people aren't going to do it. So what I, stopped, what I started doing is I stopped doing stuff. And then if stuff needed to get done, for a while people would get mad because I used to got to do it. Then after a while they started realizing, well, I guess we got to do it. Right? Okay. So my point in all that is that, is that my job is not to do it. I do do it because i got to show you how to do it. My, but my job is to equip you to do it. Now I'm being very practical. Is that okay? Right? Uh, my job is to equip you with grace to do the work of the ministry. No, 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 that's your job. A coach, a coach's job is to equip the players to do 
the work to, to play football, to play baseball, to play basketball. The coach doesn't play, but the coach equips the players to play. Now, that doesn't mean the coach doesn't have knowledge of how to do it. Most of the time, the coaches were players, and the coaches know a lot. But what they equip the players to do, many of the players are way better than the coaches have ever been. But the coaches know things the players don't. They see things the players don't. They equip the players with things they don't know so they can become better players. But ultimately, God's desire is that all of us would play. We all are supposed to be involved in the game. We're all supposed to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And we're all supposed to be equipped to edify the body of Christ. So the word edify means to build up. Right? Now, for the longest time, the church has been known for tearing itself down. Because the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Anytime you're bringing division into a family or into a church, you're not doing the work of God. Well, they just don't understand. No, you don't understand, right? We have to die to our wants. It's not about what I want. It's about what's best for God's work to be done. And I want to tell you something. In, if you're growing up in Christ, there's a lot of swallowing that needs to be done. I just got to take one for the team. Yes, got to take one for the team. But when you get saved, you're not used to taking one for the team. reason you need to get saved is because you're used to getting your own way. But if you're going to grow up in Christ, it's not about self-serving. It's about self-sacrificing. And Paul says, and man, what time is it? Man, I'm, I'm kind of flowing here, but I'll do my best. So Paul says in another place, well, Christians in Corinthians, he said, Christians are taking Christians to court, and that before unbelievers. Shouldn't they rather say, uh, what was it? Well, shouldn't, shouldn't they rather just uh, uh, forgive one another or, uh, you know, turn the other cheek and just let it go? But instead, they're suing one another and taking each other to court and that before unbelievers. He said, that ain't right. But you know what? The, the, the heart behind that is self-serving. I want my own way. Well, that's how we come into the body of Christ. But as we grow in the body of Christ, then we need to learn. One of the things I was talking about today is that Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, slap them harder. No, where do we learn that in the world? What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Now, I'll be honest with you, when somebody slaps me on the cheek, I want to go back to my worldly days. But the Bible says, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You learn, where's that going to get me? Right? What's that going to do for me? The reason I got saved is because I did that, I lived that way, and it doesn't work. So I need to try a different way of doing things. Right? I need to do things God's way. I need to learn how to forgive. I need to learn how to not fall into that trap again. I need to learn how to change that pattern of thinking, that pattern of behavior, because that pattern of behavior is what got me divorced. That pattern of behavior is what got me put in jail. That pattern of behavior is what got me kicked out of school. Right? So, to equip the saints to build up the body of Christ. Now, now get this. To equip the saints. Who's the saints? We are. To equip the saints to do what? To build up the body. No, that's your job, Pastor. Well, yeah, it's my job. 
but my job is to help you to do the same job, right? So practically, while there are five different flavors of grace, I want to focus on the pastoral again. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, I am the pastor of this church, but the pastor is a title. It's not my grace. Listen to what I'm telling you. You can be a pastor and have teaching grace. You can be a pastor and have evangelistic grace. You can be a pastor and have pastoral grace. You can be a pastor and have prophetic grace. And you can be a pastor and have apostolic grace. Right? The title that we give the overseer of the church is pastor. But really a better title would be overseer. Because everybody thinks that a pastor has pastoral grace. Not always. What you're going to find is the pastor may have pastoral grace. They should all have pastoral hearts. They should all have pastoral grace that, that they, they, just like you can do the work in evangelist, you can have a pastoral heart and do, be pastoral. But that doesn't mean that the grace that they flow in is pastoral. Now, one of the things you're going to find with this church, so I'm just telling you up front, that's not my grace. It's just not. And everybody goes, we know that, Pastor. All right. So what type of grace, so let's go back and talk about the pastor. Now, uh, what type of grace does a five-fold pastor carry? On the net, in the classroom, trying to get somebody to say something. No. What type of grace does a five-fold pastor carry? pastoral grace, right? So what is the grace given for? The grace of a pastor is to equip the body to be pastoral, right? So is it grace for the pastor to just pastor? Well, yes, but that's not primarily what it's for. What it's primarily for is to impart that pastoral grace to the body. In summary, their primary purpose is to equip the saints so that the saints can all pastor each other. In this way, they are enabling the body to grow up by building up itself in love. So if you've been in this body very long, you know that there is a strong pastoral grace that flows through this body. Why? Because over the years, we've been blessed in the path, past with some really strong, five-fold, grace-filled pastors. And they did a great job of imparting that grace to the body. As a result, you now do not just have in this body one pastor, but you have a multitude of pastors. And many of y'all that have that pastoral grace because it was imparted to you, by the way you live and by the way you function, you are imparting that to others as well. It flows throughout the body. How are we supposed to function? How are we supposed to live? Well, I, I just learned by watching Doug, or I learned by watching Mike, or I learned this, and, and that's how it works. Where did they learn it from? Probably from a five-fold pastor, right? So if you grew up in a traditional model, you may not appreciate the demands it puts on you as a saint who is comfortable with being a spectator. But we are not to conform to the traditional and what we might even say 
unbiblical model of performer-spectator. Rather, we are to cast down unbiblical thinking and transform our thinking into kingdom thinking that we might express kingdom values and kingdom behavior and that the kingdom of God might manifest in our midst. Didn't it say, then Paul say, where the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? Where are those strongholds uh, found? Casting down imaginations, arguments, every high thing, every way of thinking that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every philosophy, every mindset, every way of thinking into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Spectator, performer needs to be cast down. It's not a biblical mindset. It's a stronghold. Right? Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, we've quoted already, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In light of what God has done for you, it's only reasonable that we would turn around and, like Mary Magdalene, say, whatever you want, Lord, I'm yours. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, not will of me, but the will of God. But it's not what I want. I'm tired of getting what I want because it don't work. Right? I think it's in Proverbs 14 and 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to the man, to a man, but in the end it leads to death. My way leads to death. His way leads to life. Repentance is doing a turnaround from doing what I want to doing what he wants. And we can get practical. I can get practical because, because we live in a practical world, right? Uh, one of the big things in all humanity, all throughout society, has been sexual behavior. We're all adults. Are we all adults? If you're not an adult, raise your hand. That's childish passion. I know, I know. Okay, so what does Jesus teach about sex? It's from God. He gave it to us. He said, be fruitful and multiply. But how is it supposed to be, uh, what are the boundaries that he created? Covenant marriage, right? Husbands, wives, Married together in covenant. Well, in Texas, yeah, you know, or in the United States, there's, there's what do you call, uh, what do they call that? Uh, huh? Yeah, common law marriage. Well, we're not living in Texas. Uh, if we're going to be Christians under Texas covenant contract, we're living under kingdom contract, kingdom covenant. And in the kingdom, I don't care what Texas says. I care what Jesus says. I care what God says. Right? But when you're in, the, you're in that middle of passion, you don't really care what God says anymore. You care what your flesh is. Right? And you find all different ways of justifying to do what you want to do. But the bottom line is, you're transgressing God's will for your life. Now, sex is wonderful. Sex is enjoyable. It's how we get children. God made it enjoyable. Otherwise, we wouldn't have children. Right? But it's supposed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. There are only two genders, people. He created them male 
and female. You cannot have kids with male and male. Oh, yeah, you can. You just have to uh, contract somebody. Hello? You cannot have kids if you have a woman and a woman. God created male and female. It's not hard. It only gets hard when we want to do what we want to do. So you have to submit your flesh. You have to submit your behaviors. You have to submit your thinking to God's way of thinking. Think about the next generation of kids that are growing up in transsexual families. Think about the mess, and I don't care if it's on YouTube, and I don't care if they strike me down. Think about the mess that they're creating in the children's lives that are growing up with all that perversion. You know what a perversion is? It's the wrong version. Right? Now, I'm not teaching you something that I'm making up or my own opinion. I'm teaching you what the Bible teaches. So we have to submit our cravings, our lusts, our desires, things that God gave us. We have to submit them to God's pattern and not try to justify doing what we want to do. You have lots of Christians today, not the world, lots of Christians who say it's okay to live together. We need to try it out. We need to make sure we're compatible before we get married. No, that's called fornication. That's what it's called. Right? So, well, how are we going to know that we're going to be compatible? Well, if that's the way you're going into, into a relationship, it's already doomed. What you do is you get married, and when you get married, you make it work. You make it work. Well, I'm not happy anymore. Well, it's not about you being happy. <laughs> if you're not happy, that's what a lot of people say. Well, I'm not happy, so I'm just going to get a divorce. Hello? You think you're going to be happy when you get a divorce? You think your kids are going to be happy when you get a divorce? Do you think anything in life is easy? What makes marriage fruitful and what makes marriage in the end something uh, 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 you have joy and happiness is persevering through the trials, overcoming together, both making a covenant. It's not 50-50. It's not if you didn't know. I'm 100% regardless what you do. I'm 100% into this. And the best scenario is when the other person says, I, regardless of what you do, I'm 100%. That's why when we get married, we say, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. Today we say, if you're not in health, I'm out of here. Right? Today we say, if it's not better, I'm out of here. Well, it don't work that way. I'm really, I'm really, I don't know. You guys got to keep me here. I got to get back. So what have we learned so far? Equipping ministries prepare the people of God to be effective ministers. Through their influence, believers should become so inspired and God-filled that they eagerly and enthusiastically engage in the work of God. So Leon Van Ruyen, and I'm just going to give a quote, some quotes here and we're done. Uh, in his book, Well Done, he was here with us a couple, of we a couple of weeks ago. He says, statistics confirm my observation that only about 20% of Christians actively serve in their churches. 
if 80% of the members of a local church are not functioning, that body is surely dysfunctional. Imagine if 80% of your body was not functioning. Every joint supplies and every part does its share. So if every part does not do its share and every point joint does not supply, the body is crippled. This astounding figure of 80% of the body of Christ not functioning is utterly unacceptable. If 80% of your body were to shut down, you would need a doctor immediately. In the same way, today's church is in dire need of resuscitation because 80% is not functioning according to its design. I believe, and this is still him talking, I believe that 10% of Christians are active. This is known as the core group. Who is the core group? Well, I'll be real honest with you. Most of them are 50 years and older. Right? Now, it shouldn't be that way, but the ones that come to all the activities, whether it be Sunday school, prayer meeting, uh, Wednesday nights, now we have a little bit more here today. So you guys are moving into the core group, which is fantastic. I want to just encourage you guys. Turn to somebody, core group, made it. <laughs> right? Um, but uh, 10% are partially, so 10% of Christians are active. That's known as a core group. 10% are partially or sporadically active. They participate at times, but not at the level of full commitment. And 80% are inactive. By and large, these are Sunday morning Christians if they come on Sunday mornings. Because nowadays, the mantra, forgive me the barring the word, but the saying is, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, who made that up? Did God say that? No. But I'm just trying to justify my behavior. Oh, God understands my church is nature. When I'm out in nature, me and God commune. God understands. Does he understand disobedience? Doesn't he say to Saul, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft? The latter may live right and live morally, but so do many secular-minded people and cultists. Ooh. Let me read that again. 80% are inactive, and by and large, these are Sunday Christians. The latter, these 80%, may live right and live morally, but so do many secular-minded people and cultists. Morality and behavior are not sufficient to impact this generation. While morality is certainly preferable to immorality, Christians are destined to be people of vision, passions, zeal, and anointing. And our goal is for every Christian to be a passionate, anointed minister, servant, each one engaged in the work of God for his life. The saints are brought into maturity, wholeness, health, and stability for the purpose of serving. Serving. Can you say that with me? Serving. Four definitions come out of the root word for equipping. Remember, five full ministers equip the body. There are four definitions and we're done. The, uh, the equip means to set a broken bone. So just as a broken bone is set so that the limb can heal and again be used, equippers are to heal broken lives and restore them to usability. Right? Also, it originates from the same Greek word, used for mending nets. It means to mend lives so that we may harvest the catch. 
Equippers make us efficient and effective so that we can function according to design. We who have been impacted by God's grace are then to attract people to God's grace in Christ. Third, this word is also used to describe the refitting or equipping of a ship so that it may again sail on course. Equippers train us so that our destiny in God is fulfilled. We are to be equipped or refitted so that we may sail the oceans of life and ministry and minister to bring many to salvation. And finally, that word equip means to be radically adjusted. You ever say, I'm, I'm, I'm not adjusted. Well, God wants to radically adjust you. Equippers radically adjust us in order to bring us into God's order and balance. So in conclusion, what we found is that Christ equips the church with grace through grace gifts that he's given to the church. These gifts to the church are people that he's put grace on in order to impart that grace to others. These grace gifts are practically known as equippers. We learn that the purpose of these grace ministries is not to do the ministry for the body of believers, but for the purpose of these grace ministries, the purpose of the grace ministries is to equip the saints, the believers in the church, to do the works of ministry. For too long, the church has embraced the model of ministry that has performers and spectators. The performers are the ones who have grace, and the spectators are the ones who do not, and who sit back and watch the ones that have it. While that's what we've been doing, it doesn't mean that it's a biblical model. What is biblical is that those who have grace equip the body so that they can have it and then that they can do the works of the ministry and edify the bodies of Christ as well. Christ's objective is summed up in the remainder of our text which says in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may all grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. See, a lot of times we want to bring God down to our level, but God is trying to build us up to his level. From whom the whole body joined, now not some of the body, not 10% of the body, not 20% of the body, not even 80% of the body, but the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. We don't want you to do more than your share. Actually, I do want you to do more than your share, but we want you to do at least your share. And it causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So one way that we can cause the body to grow is for everybody to just do his part in serving God by serving others. Amen? <laughs>